All right, so as I just said, we're about to embark on a verse-by-verse study in really one of the most famous books in the entire Bible, and that's that little fascinating book of Jonah. And so before we get into verse one, what I want to do is I want to give you a formal introduction to the book, uh, and that's going to take up most of our time uh, today. So people love Jonah. This is one of the most beloved books in the Bible. People love Jonah, and one of the reasons they love it is because it's so intriguing. I mean, where else can you read about a uh, great fish swallowing a prodigal prophet and then barfing him up on dry land three days later. You don't find it anywhere except in the Bible. And if that doesn't capture your interest, I don't know what will. And so a lot of people love the story because of its intrigue. A lot of people love the story because it's so practical. They identify with all of its many relatable themes. And so Jonah may be listed in the Old Testament as a minor prophet, but what you and I need to understand is that it is filled with so many major themes, major themes um, that are, are relatable to us, so many practical principles that we can still apply uh, to our lives today. So here's where we're going to start. When did the events of the story of Jonah take place? And the answer to that is way back in the 8th century B.C. That's a long time ago. We're talking about, if you go back to the 2,000 years, to the time of Jesus, then you go back another 700 plus years, and there you'll find Jonah. And so at the time, Jonah ministered in Israel, specifically to the 10 northern tribes of Israel. And he prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, Jeroboam the son of Joash, who the Bible says did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so even though the eighth century BC for the 10 northern tribes of Israel was a prosperous time, economically, politically, as far as their influence is concerned. Even though the eighth century BC was a prosperous time for Israel, you need to know as we introduce the book today that it was a very dark time spiritually. How many of you guys know that a nation can be prospering materially, politically, economically, and yet within that nation, the times can be very dark spiritually? Right, that, That's where we are in the Bible. And so some of you guys are scratching your head. You're thinking, 10 northern tribes. I'm not familiar with this. And so um, let, let me just say this. You're here at the time of Jesus. You go back 700 plus years. You come to the time of Jonah. And then if you hit the rewind button again and you go back in time about another 170 years or so, you come to 931 B.C. What happened in 931 B.C. or there, thereabouts? What happened was there was a civil war. There was a split in the kingdom. How many of you guys remember King David from the Old Testament, right? The man after God's own heart. And he and Bathsheba, um, they have Solomon. And Solomon becomes the king. And uh, under Solomon's reign, man, Israel soars to heights that it never uh, saw before in its history. It becomes like the premier world power under the reign of Solomon, right? But even though Solomon started well, even though he was um, the wisest man in the world, you guys remember, Solomon didn't end well. 
He became foolish. He married a lot of women, a lot of pagan women. His, hearts went, uh, his heart went with uh, all these wives and their gods. He committed a, uh, idolatry against the Lord. And so the Lord proclaimed in the time of Solomon that he was going to tear the kingdom um, um, not during Solomon's day for the sake of David, but he was gonna do it in the days of Solomon's son. Solomon's son's name was Rehoboam. Okay, and so in the time of Rehoboam, here's what happened. You have this guy named Jeroboam the first, and what does he do? He uh, splits, and he takes the 10 northern tribes, and Jeroboam becomes the king of Israel. Israel, for short, for the 10 northern tribes. Rehoboam, he stays the king of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, Judah for short. And so I, I say all that so you kind of understand later in history where Jonah is. There's been a split in the kingdom. You have the kingdom in the north, Israel. You have the kingdom in the south, and that's Judah. Ladies and gentlemen, each of those two had their line of kings. Judah, some of their kings were evil, some of their kings were good. Israel, guess what? All those kings were bad. All of them. And so if you go back to the 10th century BC, the time when the Civil War occurred, the 10 northern tribes of Israel, here's what you find out. You find out that all of these kings are evil. And then you get to the time of, of Jonah, where we are in our Bibles, 8th century BC. They're still evil. Now you got Jeroboam, the son of Joash, and he does evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you keep on going all the way to the Assyrian captivity, which is 722 uh, BC. And here's what has been estimated. There was 20 kings of Israel, the 10 northern tribes, and here's what we know for sure. All of them were bad kings. How many of you guys know that God is merciful? God is loving. God is slow to anger. God is abounding with compassion. But here's what we also need to know as well. God is holy and God is a God of justice. And at some point, God says enough is enough. And that's what we saw in the history of Israel. Finally, after 20 or so bad kings and all this darkness, spiritually speaking, finally God says, I had enough, and he brings judgment to a nation. That's what a sovereign God can do. He can judge nations or he can bless nations. It's up to him. Now here's what we need to know, that in Israel's history, what did God do? God allowed the Assyrians, we'll see a lot about them in a, in a little while, the Assyrians to come down and between 740 BC and 722 BC, the Assyrians conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel and took them away into captivity. And so, during the time of the kings of Israel, God would raise up these prophets and these prophets would come on the scene and they would, because God's a loving God, a merciful God, they would call people to repentance. How many of you guys know it's a loving thing to call people to repentance? <laughs> that's a loving thing to do, right? And so that's what God would do. And Jonah was one of those prophets. And so if you're taking notes, we'll start with him. Uh, Jonah was the protagonist, the main character 
of, of course, our little book that we're gonna study today. The first thing I want you to know is that Jonah was a real person who lived in a real Israel before a very real Assyrian captivity. And somebody says, well, pastor, I heard this thing about a whale swallows him, and so are you sure <laughs> this stuff's not made up? Are you sure Jonah was a real person? Well, yeah, I am very sure. And one of the many reasons I am very sure is because of what it says in verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And so Jonah is a real guy with a real dad. This guy's real. And this is the same Jonah that we see in 2 Kings uh, 14.25 who prophesied during the reign of King Jeroboam II. In fact, let's look at that verse. I wanna show you the history, right? We're in the minor prophets in the Old Testament and now I'm taking you to the uh, history book in the Old Testament to match the character. All right, and so he, Jeroboam II, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, here it is, which he spoke by his servant, you shout out the name, Jonah. The son of Amittai, the prophet, who was, I'll come back to this, Gath, who was from Gath Hefer. And so God spoke, eighth century BC, God spoke through his prophet Jonah, the same man that we see in the little book that we're starting today, and what did the Lord say through Jonah? He, he said through Jonah that Israel, during the time of Jeroboam II, is gonna uh, uh, extend, fortify, restore its borders in the north, all the way down the east, and all the way down south to the Sea of Arabah, or the Dead Sea. And ladies and gentlemen, that fortified border uh, what would that do? That would protect, here's a government and, and they're stepping in, they're fortifying a border, why? In order to ensure the safety of its citizens. And Jonah's prophecy was fulfilled by Jeroboam II and the Bible says God saved Israel by the hand of Jeroboam. Now I wanna, I wanna ask you to try to get yourself back into eighth century BC. Imagine if you're a member of one of the 10 northern tribes of Israel, you're living along the border, either in the north or all the way down the east to around the Dead Sea. You're there, right? And, and so before this happened, before this prophecy of Jonah uh, took place, uh, you're living in fear. You're wondering when's the next attack gonna occur? When is the enemy gonna come and steal our goods and raid our villages and burn down our homes? But then Jonah steps up and he gives the prophecy and Jeroboam comes along and he fulfills the prophecy and the border is fortified and now you feel safe. And now you're like, yay God, yay Jeroboam and yay Jonah. And so that's a little bit of the history behind the minor prophet book that we're gonna study. Um, and I want you to know that scholars believe that, that the history I just gave you took place before the events in the book we're gonna study, all right? And so what does that mean? That means that when Jonah was a younger man, he's full of zeal for the Lord, he's obeying the Lord, he's doing what a prophet should do. But how many of you guys know that as we continue in our walk with the Lord, sometimes we're tempted to become 
apathetic spiritually. Sometimes we begin, for whatever reason, to backslide spiritually. The fire is not as hot. We're not as excited anymore. And we may, if we're not careful, even get to a place like Jonah got to where God tells him to do something and he says, no, I'm not gonna do that. How many of you guys wanna finish well, right? You know, I do. You look at Solomon's life, he started well, he didn't finish well. You look at Jonah's life, man, come on, Jonah, right? Here's what I wanna do, and it's what this church is all about. I wanna be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. I wanna keep serving the Lord till I take my last breath, and I know under the new covenant that's impossible outside of the power of the Holy Spirit of God, but man, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, keep leaning into the Lord so that we... um, can finish well, but back to the book, it said at the end of 2 Kings 14, 25, that Jonah was from a town called Gath-Hefer. Gath-Hefer was located in Galilee, not too far from the Sea of Galilee, not too far from Nazareth, and so um, Jonah was from the same area that Jesus Christ would be uh, ministering in 700 plus years later. Why am I emphasizing all this? Because I want you to know that he was a real guy with a real dad, Amittai, from a real town, Gath Heifer. And the reason I gotta emphasize that is because there's a lot of people who will tell you that this book that we're about to study is just a myth. It's just made up. It's just An allegory, what's an allegory? An allegory is like um, Togum's Progress, right? In other words, you make up a story and then the allegory reveals hidden truths uh, in order to um, bring forth some kind of spiritual principle. That's an allegory. And so there are people, listen, atheists of course believe, like what are you all doing in this room studying a mythological book is what atheists would say to all of us. Agnostics definitely believe Jonah is, is myth. And here's, here's the sad part, here's what breaks my heart. There are religious people in churches who believe Jonah is just a myth made up or an allegory. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you with, with 100% certainty that Jonah was a real guy. And the story we're going uh, to study actually happened. So those who believe Jonah's just an allegory, they should go back to 2 Kings 14.25 and see the history behind the book. And not just that, they should listen to the Lord Jesus Christ who spoke about Jonah. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, demanded a sign from Jesus, check out how Jesus responded to them. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of who? You tell me. The prophet Jonah, Jesus talking about Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus affirmed the historicity of the man Jonah. It's a true Story, but what I wanna do, since this is a 
introductory message by and large is I wanna take a little bit of time, maybe five minutes, and just talk to you a little bit about apologetics. Ladies and gentlemen, all of us here in this room, all of us watching online right now, we need um, to be apologists at some level. In other words, we need to be able to defend the Christian faith. <laughs> and so I'll just give you a, a little bit of apologetics here. There are critics who come on the scene and they say that since Jesus was a human being, right? So Matthew 12, 39 through 40, we just put it up on the screen. Jesus is talking about Jonah and here's what the critics will say. Well, Jesus was a human being. Therefore, Jesus had limitations. Therefore, maybe Jesus didn't really know that Jonah was just a made-up story. In other words, what they would say, the critics, is, you know, Jesus talks about the, uh, the first couple. Well, maybe Jesus didn't know that, they would say, Adam and Eve weren't literal people. Or maybe Jesus didn't know. He was a man. He had limitations. Maybe he didn't know that there was a guy named um, Jonah, but I'm mean, sorry, Noah, but that was made up too. And Noah really didn't build a big boat to escape a flood. And Jesus did, by the way, talk about Noah and the flood. And maybe because Jesus was a man and he had limitations, maybe he didn't know that Jonah was not actually swallowed by a great fish. As a man, Jesus was limited, so maybe he didn't realize that some of the stories that he talked about were myths. And they would say, it says in Matthew 24, Jesus said it himself, that the Son of Man does not know the day or the hour of his return. So if he didn't know when he's coming back, maybe he didn't know Jonah was a myth. Now, how would you respond to the critics? Now you might say, well the Bible says it, so I believe it and that settles it, and walk away, and that's okay. <laughs> but I think we can do a little better than that. And so, if you're listening, say amen. amen. How do we respond to the critics? Here's what we do. We agree that Jesus was fully man. Absolutely. But we also strongly affirm that Jesus was fully God. Fully God, a man, fully God. As God, he could not err. And as man, he did not err. In other words, even as a man, whatever Jesus taught, he taught with divine authority from his Father. I want you to check out John 8, 28, the very words of Jesus. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as, who taught me? The Father. <laughs> All right, and so yeah, it's true, Matthew 24, 36. During his earthly ministry, as a man, Jesus did not know the day or hour of his return. That's true. But all that tells us is as a man, he did not teach about that which his father did not tell him about. But we can be assured that everything the father told him about, everything the father revealed to him was absolutely true. I have a question you can answer out loud. Answer this question out loud. Would the father ever lead his son to teach anything that was an error, yes or no? No way. Jesus said, everything I teach, I got from my father. And so God, the father, would never um, reveal um, error to God the son in his teaching ministry. 
You add to that the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, listen, the truth and the life, and we should all come to the conclusion that the one who called himself the truth did not err in his teaching. Now, I can err in my teaching. Pray for me, please. (laughs) But Jesus didn't. And not only that, Jesus Christ, was he died on a cross, was buried, and three days later, he got up, he rose from the dead. Now, anybody who does that, that proves that everything they ever said was absolutely true. So the critics are wrong in saying that as a man, Jesus erred in his teaching. Jonah was just a myth, but Jesus didn't know that. That's impossible, all right? And so if you wanna take notes or take a picture, here's our logical response to the critics, which by the way, I learned this from Dr. Norman Geisler, who's with Jesus right now. I, I recommend his resources. As God, Jesus was not limited, therefore he could not err. In other words, God is omniscient. He knows all things. How can someone who knows all things ever err? And not only that, God is holy, therefore he would never deceive someone. And so as God, Jesus was not limited, um, and he could not err. As a man, we agree, he was limited. Not sinful, no, but Jesus got tired, he got thirsty, right, he got hungry, So as a man, he was limited, but because he taught with divine authority, he said, everything I teach, I got from my father. He did not err, therefore, whatever he taught was absolutely true, including that Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. Now, as logical as that may seem, and as true as that is, there are still people religious people who say, come on, pastor, a whale swallowing a guy for a hole and then that guy surviving for three days and three nights, I, I, I'm not buying it. You really think a whale swallowed a man? All right, I have three responses to that question. Number one, it doesn't tell us what kind of marine animal swallowed Jonah. All it says in the Hebrew is a great fish. Right, so whether that was a sperm whale, which unlike other whales, has a throat big enough to swallow a manhole, or whether it was another marine animal, or whether it was a special creation from God, listen, if it says it in Jonah, I believe it. But number two, because Jesus said it, that Jonah was a real guy, and he was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, I accept it. Jesus is risen from the dead. Of course, I believe everything Jesus ever said, and so should all Christians. But then number three, I love this one, if God can speak an entire universe into existence out of nothing, he can do anything, right? So stop being skeptical. Stop being a doubting Thomas. If, if you accept the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, none of the other verses should pose a problem for you. If you accept the greatest miracle, which is the miracle of creation, that a spaceless, timeless, immaterial God spoke 
a space-time material universe into existence, if you accept that, the greatest miracle, then why is it so hard to accept all the miracles in the Bible? The problem is with our hearts, not with God. And so the protagonist of our story is Jonah, and the antagonists now, we gotta talk about them a little bit, and that's the Assyrians, the Assyrians. All right, so historically speaking, eighth century BC, who in the world were the Assyrians? The Assyrians were a ruthless people, and not only that, they were infamous for war crimes against humanity. They were the up and coming world power of the day, and here's what you need to know, that everybody who lived around Assyria, they were scared to death as they saw them becoming stronger and stronger and stronger um, as the Assyrian Empire grew in dominance um, and strength. And so the Assyrians, what they would do, and by the way, this is one of the reasons that we have a children's ministry, is because in this room, we learn the Bible on our adult level, and so that they can learn about the Bible and Jesus on their level, just, just so you know, for the future. Uh, because here's what I know, that sometimes the Bible is very graphic, okay? And so we're talking about the Assyrians, we're talking about eighth century BC, and how cruel these people were, and their war crimes. And so after the Assyrians conquered a city, they would burn it to the ground, they would cut down all the trees, and they would leave nothing but devastation. Not only that, after they captured their enemies, sometimes they would gouge out their eyes, other times they would cut out their tongues, and other times they would put hooks in the mouths of their enemies in order to lead them away into captivity. Not only that, the Assyrians are known historically for skinning people alive, and not just that, impaling people on poles and publicly displaying their bodies for all to see. In other words, don't mess with the Assyrian Empire or that's gonna happen to you. Nahum, who followed Jonah later in history, he described how the Assyrians would, quote, leave uh, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end after their battle. So what's Nahum, you can go back and read it yourself. What does Nahum say about the Assyrians? That after a battle, you look, and it's like as far as the eye can see, you see the corpses. This was Israel's enemy. As we're studying the book of Jonah, you need to know that. This is Israel's enemy, and not only that, what was the largest city in Assyria, and arguably in the world at that time? It was the city of Nineveh. And so Nineveh, the ancient city of Nineveh, founded by Nimrod way back in the book of Genesis. It's founded by Nimrod and it continues to grow and grow and grow all the way to the point that in the time of Jonah, arguably it's the largest city in the known world, but then around 700 BC, a little, a little bit later than where we are in our Bible, it actually becomes the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Where was it located? Well, we'll put it on the screen, on the east side of the Tigris River, which by the way is modern day Iraq. And so um, the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh the city, about 550 miles northeast of Israel. As I said earlier, the, the, the city of Nineveh was huge. The inner city was surrounded by these huge, massive, thick walls. 
uh, that extended for miles. Uh, we're gonna discover in chapter three, verse three, that Nineveh, quote, was an exceedingly great city. It was a three-day journey in breath. We're gonna find out in chapter four that, that the, um, inside of Nineveh, uh, the district area there, uh, there was more than 120,000 little children who couldn't tell the, their left hand from their right hand. And so little tiny uh, kids, babies, maybe some um, um, early toddlers, 120,000 of them in Nineveh. What does that mean? That means that if you estimate the total population, you come to about 600,000 people. That's massive for eighth century BC. And by the way, archeologists excavated, and so we know that um, everything that I'm saying is, is, uh, is right on. Uh, Nineveh was a real city. And so the city of Nineveh, massive for its time. The sin of the Ninevites, massive, right? These people were idolaters. They were uh, guilty of war crimes. They were cruel. They were violent, no doubt immoral. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where God called Jonah to go and preach. And God said, go and what did, no, no, uh, what did Jonah say? No. <laughs> and that leads you to your outline. So here's where we're going in the next, um, I don't know how many weeks, but uh, here's what we got. Chapter one, the prodigal prophet. And so we see in chapter one, no, um, keep saying Noah, a Jonah fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And then you got chapter two, the praying prophet. And so you see Jonah crying out to God from the belly of the great fish. And then chapter three, you got the preaching prophet, because God knows how to get our attention. And when God determines to do something, he's gonna do it, whether we like it or not. And so guess what? He ends up going to Nineveh and preaching. And then we find in chapter four, the petulant, if that word is new to you, that simply means um, a bad mood, uh, bad-tempered, childish, and I said petulant prophet because in chapter four, Jonah pouts about his circumstances. And so that's where we're going in the future. I'm not sure how many weeks um, it's going to take, but here's what I want to do for the time we have remaining today. I want to just dip our toe into verses one through three. All right, so right now, uh, both here and at home, if you're looking at Jonah 1.1, can you say amen? amen? All right, so here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so understanding, right, the cruelty of the Assyrians, this call from God must have shocked Jonah. I mean, can you imagine God speaks to Jonah, go to Nineveh, and Jonah must have been like, what? Excuse me, Lord? Because I, I, I thought you just said go to Nineveh. <laughs> and Jonah's like, I mean, God's like, I did say Nineveh. And Jonah's like, swallowing hard. What? Go to Nineveh? Now, let me try to help you guys understand what this would be like. 
Calling Jonah to go to Nineveh in the eighth century BC, that would be like God calling a Messianic Jew to go to Berlin in the early 1940s to tell all the Nazis to repent. That's what this is like in your Bible. But because I'm not just here to give you backgrounds and history and increase your knowledge um, as I teach God's word, we also need to apply all this stuff, right? So let's apply it right now. God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh would be like God calling you to go and share with someone that you don't like how they can be reconciled to God. And somebody might say, why in the world would I do that? Why in the world would I go to somebody I don't like and tell them about the Lord? Well, here's a really good reason. Because God loves everybody. He loves everybody. And that leads you to your big idea for the whole series, and that is the Lord is compassionate. Man, my, my heart is just right now yearning that our local church, Calvary Port St. Lucie, would get this, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. God is compassionate, and he loves to put his compassion into action. Now, Jonah knew this, and he didn't like it. He didn't like this about God. We're gonna find out later in his book, well, he liked it when it came to him, but he didn't like it when it comes to the Ninevites. And we're gonna find out later in the book that after he preached to the Ninevites, and after he saw their repentance, and after he realized that I don't think God is gonna judge these people, what does Jonah do? He pouts. He gets angry. Right? He didn't want God to spare the Ninevites. He wanted God to destroy the Ninevites. What kind of attitude is that? And so, listen, we have got to um, never forget that the Lord is compassionate and he loves to put his compassion into action. And so, please, here's the time to apply it. Let's never, ever, ever have the attitude of Jonah Let's never, never, never have a self-righteous attitude, right? Becoming self-righteous and thinking that God should only save, quote unquote, good people. Ladies and gentlemen, newsflash, there are no good people. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's Romans 3.10. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But how many of you are glad for Romans 5, 8? But God showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank God for that. And so guess what? Christians, those who've received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, believing that the penalty that he paid on the cross was good for them and that he rose from the dead, Christians, here's the thing. We are sinners. Everybody, can you say the word sinners, please? Sinners. Don't ever forget that. We are sinners who've been saved by grace. So before we look down our nose at anybody, before we uh, begin to write off people as they're beyond saving, 
Before we're harsh with people, before we're pharisaical with people, we got to remind ourselves of who we, are, who we were back in our BC days and how sinful we were and how broken we were and how desperate we were for a savior. And thank God that he went after us when we needed the Lord. We got to remember how merciful God has been to us and we got to remember his compassion. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, Jonah discovered God's compassion for those outside Israel, even those who were their enemies. I'll just, just hold it right there for a second. Now, Jonah discovered God's compassion. Let's, let's think about this in a New Testament context. God loves people outside the church, even people who are Enemies of the church. <laughs> even the people who don't like what we're doing right now. Even the people who laugh at us. Even the people who mock us. God has compassion for them. Do we emulate the heart of God? Or are we harsh toward them? and angry toward them. What is that doing? That's not representing the Lord. Not only that, Charles Ryrie said, the book shows that the God of the Hebrews has concern for how many people? The whole world. Now, some of you are clapping, which I'm very happy about, but, but let me really challenge you right now. God, um, the true God of the Hebrews, has concern for terrorist organizations in Afghanistan. Oh, no, Pastor, no. Yeah. God wants to save them. God wants to save them too. God loves them too. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever means whoever. I know I'm challenging a lot of people. You can send your emails to lholly at <laughs> calvartsl.com. Look at what O.S. Hawkins said. God has compassion for who? His heart beats with concern for the lost and ungodly. We may shun them. God forbid that happens in this church, by the way. We may shun them, but our Lord Jesus doesn't. He has compassion and affection for those in need of salvation. And so what we have to understand is that God has this huge heart for lost people. And here's the application right here. Do we as Christians emulate that heart? Or do we um, prefer to be harsh with people and angry towards people? Now, somebody may say, well, pastor, you know, you don't know what that lost person did to me, and that's why I'm harsh with them. Well, I would just lovingly say, have you forgotten the words of Jesus? Check out the words of Jesus here. Love your enemies. See, this is what Christians do. 
Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And so no matter what somebody did to you, even if they are as cruel to you as the Assyrians were to their enemies, which I highly doubt, but even then, Jesus calls us to love them and pray for them. And so all we have to do to get the right attitude about this, right, is all we gotta do, and by the way, I'm without naming names, okay, but what we could do is watch certain things on social media or on TV and we see people angry and yelling and um, harsh towards people that they don't, dis, uh, they don't agree with, right, and that may, we may choose to allow that to form how we think, how we speak, how we live. I would like to ask everybody in this church to allow this to form how you think, how you speak, and how you act. This. And so listen, um, when you think about this, all you gotta do to get into the right attitude about all this is just go back to your BC days and remind yourself how broken, lost, and sinful that you were. Now I know some of you guys got saved when you were six years old, you're like, I don't know how to do that, Pastor, but, but most of us here, we remember how bad we were. Just go back there. And are you thankful that God came after you? Yes. All right, let's have that attitude towards everybody. That's where we need to be as a church. And so here's my challenge. My challenge is that whatever situation you find yourself in this week, just ask yourself, how can I be as compassionate as possible in this situation? And then whoever God puts in front of you this week, just ask yourself, how can I be as compassionate as possible with this person right here? God said, go. Jonah said, no. So what's gonna happen? Look at verse three, last verse, verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it. By the way, that's the direction that we go when we run from the Lord. Down, 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 right? To go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The name of Jonah in Hebrew means dove, and here's what we see in verse three. He is flying away as fast as he can. It says he went down to Joppa. If you go with us to Israel in May, we're planning on going, okay? But if you go with us to Israel in May, uh, if we have time as we're heading up towards uh, Tel Aviv, just south of Tel Aviv, there's Jaffa. And uh, this is the area where scholars believe Jonah took off. And so can you see him? There he is in Joppa, and he's walking around, right? And he sees a captain of a ship, and he says, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Egypt. No, that's not far enough. Sir, where are you going? I'm going to Carthage. No, that's not far enough. Sir, where are you going? I'm going to Tarshish. Can I go with you? That's Jonah. And the Bible says he paid the fare. Boy, did he. Wait till next week. <laughs> it's unbelievable how much this trip is gonna cost Jonah. And he gets on the boat, and instead of obeying the Lord and headed northeast, he disobeys the Lord, he heads west. The Greek historian uh, Herodotus, he said Tarshish was located in what we now know as southern Spain. I want you to check out what direction Jonah went into. <laughs> That's what he did. All right? Go to Nineveh. 
He's supposed to be going northeast 550 miles to modern day Iraq. Instead, he gets in a boat and he wants to go 2,500 miles away from Israel. Wow. Now, I don't know. Maybe Jonah thought, if I could go that far, God won't be there. <laughs> Guess what? God's everywhere. You wanna say, Jonah, have you forgotten what David wrote? David wrote, by the way, before Jonah, Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, <laughs> yeah, even there, your hand will lead me back to Nineveh. <laughs> and your right hand shall hold me. I wish if we could go back in time and we were there on the docks of Joppa that we could stop Jonah and say, Jonah, you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> because God is everywhere. And Jonah, why in the world would you wanna run from a compassionate God? And we're gonna find out next week, right, the reasons he ran and not only that, we're gonna find out what happens to him. We remind you guys, because I know you guys all know, we're gonna go down deep and we're gonna talk about this, but here's, here's how I wanna close today. I wanna close by saying this. If you are running from God right now in your life, why would you run from a God who loves you so much? <laughs> 